Hello and welcome to Plato's Cave, a triple R film criticism show and podcast. I'm your host for the final time in 2019, Paul Anthony Nelson. And joining me in the cave tonight are Flick Ford. Hello. And we are honoured to be joined by the OG caper, <laughs> the co-founder of this very show. It's his show. I'm just borrowing it. I'm just borrowing your Humvee, to quote Sean Connery in The Rock. Thomas Corkle. <laughs> It's very much not my show anymore. That's quite okay. <laughs> hey, thank you so much for having me back on. I think this is, it's been almost, it's been literally a year since I've been on. Um, and it's wonderful to come back for this very show since, yeah, this show began towards the start of this decade. I think April 2011. Oh, really? That's the I date I have in my mind. I forgot to check. It yeah. might be. It probably is 2010. <laughs> But I was here at the start, so it's nice to sort of tiptoe in for the very end. Thank you for having me. Well, this is why we thought it was appropriate. Um, it's a beautiful little bookend. Um, well, we didn't think we could get much bigger than last week's top ten of the year show, but tonight is the night we unveil the cave's top films of the entire 2010s. What began way back on New Year's Day 2010 with Fantastic Mr Fox and The Princess and the Frog... And we'll end on Boxing Day with a sextet of releases from Jojo Rabbit to Jumanji The Next Level has come down to this. Myself, Flick, Thomas and our absent friends Emma Westwood and Sally Christie have all cast their votes for their top ten films of this decade. After all the votes have been cast from our five hosts, 46 films oh my God. got the vote. Is this going to be like another, like... Baker's dozen of no, the top ten. <laughs> there is no top. There is just there is no spoon. Uh, there's a top four. Uh, four films got two votes each. Four films, and I've got to say, a very special outlier, which we will mention, uh, got two votes. No film even came close to sweeping the cave for the decade. Wow. So, uh, what? How we'll run tonight? We'll first count off Emma Westwood's top ten before hearing Thomas's. Then uh, we'll do Sally's, and then uh, before hearing Flick's, uh, then I will count mine down to close the show. But first, I just wanted to throw you a quick question at you both. I'll hit you first, Thomas. Just off the cuff, just quickly, uh, what aspect of film culture or the film business has most defined this last decade, the 2010s, for you? Mm. Uh, two, two things, I think, first come to mind. The first one is probably the most boring answer, is the massive shift to, to digital filming and delivery and streaming. I mean, it's, the, the, the film model has changed so radically this decade. I remember, I remember when digital started creeping into exhibition and we thought it would take a few years and it happened within about six months. The transformation was so radical. And at first, digital filmmaking didn't look great and now it looks incredible and the rules of cinematography have been reinvented and the way we receive films is great. We've obliterated the idea of the pure way to see a film is in the cinema as well. I'm glad that kind of fairly classist snobbery has disappeared <laughs> because film has become more accessible. At the same time, I mourn the death of the theatrical experience. And the other thing that comes to mind is, I think, this is the sad one, we've lost a lot of film analysis and it's been replaced with hot takes. And mm. and there is an intolerance and a to accept films dealing with ambiguity, holding a mirror to society, to society and there's quite a vocal... Group, especially on the internet and especially on Twitter, who just want films to be a pulpit to deliver the politics that they like, and and there's a bit of a loss of sophistication, I think, with with how we tell stories and receive films. If there's any ambiguity, or um, you know, I know people who've disliked films because they dislike the villain and what the villain stood for, and therefore it is a bad film. And mm. I think that is sad that we've gone. It feels like film criticism has become a little bit basic. Mm. Yeah, we've lost nuance. Yeah. Mm. Absolutely. I, I agree with that 100%. And I think that I think the thing that stood out for me over the last decade would be um, just the diversity of voices and particularly in relation to environmental films or films which are engaging with the political landscape that we're in right now and some of those pressing issues and the way in which they're sort of approaching this, either through documentary filmmaking or through feature films that have this wonderful backdrop to these sorts of questions about what what these decisions that we're making in the political sphere, how they're actually having a real-life impact in very existential ways. And I, there was a few films that I realised are missing from my top decade <laughs> list, uh, which I got reminded of today, and it was very crushing that I didn't include them. But I was just thinking a lot about how much their film is 
I think even more so becoming this space to work through some of those issues. Um, I also, yeah, I think that just having different voices, I, I love that there's been more like I'm trying to think of I'm going through my list and it just looks so unwieldy so <laughs> maybe I shouldn't look at that but um yeah I just feel like there's been lots of really interesting work done particularly in queer cinema in lots of female directors being involved and female writers um yeah and I think that that's been a, a big shift for me can I jump on I think it's a fantastic answer and that, that actually brings to mind another thought thing I just was going to say, and I think absolutely, we've seen a more demand and insistence that cinema reflects broader communities and broader groups. Mm. And I think there has been, and that's been fantastic. And I think especially funding bodies and film festivals have been held to account mm. for the diversity they have been projecting. And I think that's only a good thing. Um, we've, 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 for the first time, it feels like we've really moved away from the idea that the norm is the white heterosexual male gays and and we have realized that is a category it's not mm. the norm it's a category that's been grossly overrepresented and yeah. and that shift you can feel it and it's I, yeah. just getting better i actually think that's down to largely the ways in which these things are becoming more accessible so film equipment is and digital cinema is a great example of that digital cinema is relatively accessible you can make a film on your phone yeah. and i think that that encourages people who who do not <laughs> who do not come from this position of privilege to be able to engage with film and create stories and and experiment and fail and do great things so um which yeah it, and also share it really easily which is weirdly kind of the dream of the late 60s wasn't yeah it? yeah um mm. when a lot more um people uh, were getting their hands on little bollocks and mm. you had african-american filmmakers coming out of la and things like that and 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 yeah so it's two beautiful answers uh and nothing i can add to that that's wonderful um okay Let's start counting down, shall we? <laughs> so our first list for this evening, Emma Westwood sadly can't join us tonight. And um, uh, we're also sad to announce that uh, Emma will be, in, uh, will, uh, will be continuing with The Cave next year, but we'll lose her for most of the year to a book. Um, so she will be appearing intermittently. She'll be like special guest star Heather Locklear on The Cave next year. But Emma has uh, very kindly supplied her top ten list. Unranked, of course, but I'll deal. Uh, so I'll count them off in a, uh, a descending, or is that ascending? Uh, uh, alphabetical order from Z to A. Is that ascending or descending? Descending. It's descending. Oh, uh, yeah, wait, see? I'm not even sure. Thomas, can not you rule right on this? Stuff. No? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm staying out of this. So. <laughs> so, from Z to A, or should I say W to A, um, Emma's first pick was Whiplash. Oh, such the, a good film. Is that uh, on my list? I don't even know. No, no, it didn't make any <laughs> oh, other list. It's an honourable me- mention. Honourable mention. <laughs> uh, I, did, I, I do have an honourable mention asterisk, <laughs> as it is actually. Uh, Damien Chazelle's uh, jazz drummer, Not My Tempo uh, drama, Whiplash. Uh, Guillermo del Toro's Oscar winning uh, romantic fantasy horror thing, The Shape of Water. Mm. Oh, a lovely choice. Uh-huh, yes, 10. Emma and I spoke about that on the show. Actually, she was really taken by it. It was, it was, well, it was, it was exciting to see how excited she was by that film, which, <laughs> which I also adored. Which is, yeah, I mean, you know, she's writing a book on the Bride of Frankenstein at the moment, and it's kind of that, you know, it seems that kind of lineage. Oh, it's a total Emma film. Yeah, and uh, perfect for her. Uh, Melancholia, Lars von Trier's yeah. uh, apocalyptic um, uh, tale, which is might be one of the four to repeat Ooh. tonight. Oh, really? That's an... I preferred yeah. Nymphomaniac. <laughs> oh, yeah. I've got Mancolia as an honourable mention. Yeah, but it's a stunning film. Yeah. yeah. No, it's, it's, it's something else. Um, I might have something to say about that later. Not Yeah, I'm just giving it away. <laughs> so our first director double-up of the night, she's chosen La La Land. Yeah. Damien Chazelle yep. back again. His uh, Oscar winning uh, uh, musical, uh, colourful musical best picture with uh, Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone, which I like a lot. I like it a lot really too. It, there was a very weird backlash against that film because it wasn't another film mm. that yeah. I thought was very unfair. And um, 100%. Hey, again, on this show, I think Emma and I championed it because I thought it was marvellous. There was also the Oscars mix up, well, which I think. Well, that didn't really, help, especially yeah. considering it was that film that it was not <laughs> yeah. meant to be. Yeah. That was the whole thing. Yeah. That defined yeah. that, that yeah. relationship between those films films defined how you know yeah. they were received uh funny Just, thing is i love the fact that their directors became really tight on the oscar and, yeah. and they we talked about moonlight as the other film yes. we, yes. we, i don't know why we're dancing around that <laughs> both, both splendid amazing films and yeah. there's room for them both <laughs> absolutely uh there might be room for uh, moonlight later oh, on the good, i hope so 
Uh, Get Out was Emma's next choice. Oh, yeah. Jordan Peele's uh, horror. Um, of course, Us made our top ten of the year last uh, last week, and Get Out makes Emma's top ten of the decade. Uh, very, very cool film. Um, and, and and again, one that has kind of opened the floodgates for um, to a certain extent for African-American filmmakers in Hollywood and making genre. And, you know, we're seeing films like Antebellum coming out this year. And mm. a fan of oh, Get Out was a game changer. Yeah. I mean, mm. when you look at sort of iconic films of the last decade it's about to end anyway it's definitely one of them as in um you know what's the word i'm looking for films that represent the decade yeah get yeah out absolutely so. and also just engaging in politics in a really fun and i don't know just so yep. on point <laughs> such a sharp film and yeah I've, I've never i mean the uh, the the that sort of uh final twist towards the end i've never seen an audience cheer like that yes. in a yes. long, long time. It's quite mm. something. Uh, Emma's uh, next five are a film that I think has been forgotten about a little bit. Paul Verhoeven's L. Oh, wow, yeah. Oh, that's float. That, that was a, that's what I contemplated having in my top ten. I adore L. And he's such a wickedly fun, clever, nasty, pure Paul Verhoeven film. And Bravo you can never, to Emma yeah. for including it. And you can yeah. never go wrong with Isabel Huppert. She's just it's a, a queen. Col- it's a colossal performance from yeah. her, like career best work from her. Mm. And great to see Verhoeven back in Verhoeven, Verhoeven being Verhoeven. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, her next pick was Peter Strickland's The Duke of Burgundy. Oh, love that film so much. Sumptuous. Um, yes. Yes. Yeah. Beautiful Fair enough. film. <laughs> <laughs> it's Very sort of, sexy. Yeah, sexy <laughs> melodrama with a touch of... That's good. I think the year that was that we talked about that, it made everyone's top ten of the year except for me. Ooh. Oh, I was wow. the one who, yeah. It's great, though. I mean, Peter Strickland's amazing. Lovely yeah. guy, too. It's a great. Um, that was a name drop. That sounds like such a backhanded compliment. Terrible. You're a, you're a nice guy. Yeah. <laughs> Is he though? I think when we look back at this decade, he's going to be a filmmaker who should stand out and be remembered because he's mm. done incredible work. That, that, that doesn't come close to anything anybody else has done. No, mm. he, he's quite. His stuff is astonishing. I mean, uh, we were extolling the virtues of In Fabric just last week. Um, mm. Yeah, really distinctive stuff. Um, Emma's next pick is Drive. Oh, Nicholas Winding Refn's neo, that. super yes. cool neo noir. Yeah, I flirted with that one for yeah. my top ten too. Such, Such a, a film. fun film, isn't it? And it's so iconic. Um, it's beautiful Inst- yeah, design. Kind of instantly iconic. Yeah, it's wasn't great it? soundtrack. Oh, yeah. Amazing soundtrack, and just everyone in it is so incredibly cool. Yeah, mm. yeah, it's yeah, it's definitely definitely great. And you know, any any film that brings Albert Brooks back to the screen, I'm happy about as well. Uh, the next pick from Emma is a film she actually spotlighted as a retro pick, and it's a film that barely fits into the 2010s. It was released here in 2010, uh, overseas in 09. Is Dogtooth. Oh, love Dog Tooth. And talk about directors <laughs> yeah. who define the decade. Yeah, I That's another one. Yeah, feel like Yorgos is right up. Yeah. Yorgos Lanthimos is right yeah. up there. The, the Lobster was one I considered. Yeah, for my top ten. I feel like the Lobster is going to put um, has already popped up a lot in the mm. top films of the decade. I actually am more of a Dog Tooth fan than a Lobster Tooth. <laughs> lobster Tooth. <laughs> oh dear, a Lobster fan. But yeah. Yeah, I yeah. I'm not really a lobster fan, but I love everything else. Yeah, right. Um, oh. Yeah, um, the lobster is not appearing in tonight's countdown. Just FYI. And Emma's final pick of the night is a film that I also really, really loved, um, Arrival. Denis. Oh, fantastic yeah. choice, Emma. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Denis Villeneuve's uh, mind-bending sci-fi. I, I think it's one of the best screenplays of the decade. And also the sound design. Uh, there's a. Oh, I feel like there's a little doco on that. Uh, or at least you can find something on YouTube on it. The sound design is really interesting because it's brought from the sounds of insects. Wow. So the, I can't remember oh, the composer off the top of my head, but, yeah, beautiful score. Is that uh, Johan Johansson? Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah. 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 The late yeah. Johan Johansson, yeah. unfortunately. I mean, I'm a huge science fiction fan, and I, that's exactly the kind of science fiction it's I adore. It's proper science it's fiction. So, it's such a smart film with enormous empathy. I mean, oh, yeah, I think it's Villeneuve's best film. Adore it. And a film that's mm. about communication. Which yeah. we're still struggling with, and it's it's lovely with sci-fi is when they do tap into the human element. Sometimes that gets lost, you know. Yep. Yes. Technology becomes the focus. This is so much about people, which gets me away from most sci-fi. This is yeah, you're right. This is what sci-fi should be doing. Mm. So that's Emma's top ten wow. of the year. That's Bravo, Emma! Great yeah. list. Now, uh, Thomas Caldwell, we haven't got you here oh, for dear. just yeah. ceremonial <laughs> purposes. Uh, just as just one of three fine folk who started the show, along with Josh Nelson and Tara Judah, way back in 2010, or is it 2011? <laughs> uh, <laughs> what year is this? 
<laughs> oh, oh yeah, yes, very, very deft. Um, we figured it would be remiss of us to do to do a Plato's Cave top ten of the twenty tens and not hear the voice and pics of the man who spent so much of this very decade hosting this show. So from ten to one, count them off. Sure, this fell into place fairly easily for me, except for the tenth position. I really struggled with what to make number ten. Leave no trace by Deborah Granick was almost in there. But I went with Room, Lenny Abraham's... Lenny, it'd be better if I could pronounce his name, but that's my thing, isn't it? <laughs> True to the end. Lenny Abrahamson's Room. Uh, an Irish director who I almost discovered by accident. I'd been following his career. All his films I'd found very interesting. And this one was so profoundly powerful. It's a film that has its emotional peak in the middle, which is something he actually mm-hmm. did in the previous film called What Richard Did, which I think is incredibly effective. And it's just this beautiful film of sort of it's a, cap, a, a captive survival film. The first half and the second half is this in really smart and moving and empathetic film about basically being integrated into a world when you've been removed from that world. I the the command of tension in this film at key points, both mm. in terms of being a thriller and emotions, just yeah, I'm, I'm shivering and choked up talking about it. It's one of those films. Adored it. And two and also, staggering performances. Yeah, I was going to say the father-daughter relationship in that film just moved me to tears. I was really... I think that's The mother-daughter? Oh, it's mother-daughter. The father-daughter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, hang on, sorry. Mother-son. Mother-son. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get Where there. Where am I going there? It was from 2015. Yeah. It's all right. And that's, yeah. that's the one Brie Larson won the yes. Academy Awards yes. for too. Yeah. yeah, and I adore no, her. Not I the think... Tommy Wiseau. <laughs> I meant it as a comedy film. Yes. So. Yeah, yeah. Let's yeah. Just, room, just be clear. The room. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, if there's Brie Larson's a figure from this decade who I think is going Absolutely. to be remembered for having a mm. really big impact. Um, my ninth film was Certain Women by Kelly Reichardt from 2016. Yes. Also a terrific movie. Because that year, it wasn't until 2017, I discovered that Kelly Reichardt, as a director I'd never given that much thought to, I suddenly realised she's one of my all-time favourite directors. <laughs> and her films are my idea of a happy place. There is oh, wow. something about her depiction of these small-town American spaces featuring fairly marginalised people I find so warm and embracing. And I just think Certain Women is such a, a smart, intense film. You know, you've got these three different stories, one featuring Laura Dern, one with Michelle Williams, one with Kirsten Stewart, plus the very promising emerging actor Lily Gladstone. I mean, and those first three women are three of the most interesting actors mm. working now. And looking at these stories about characters obsessing after these very romanticised and unobtainable notions such as justice, authenticity and love. Just this is this is a smart film, but I don't know, there's something so comforting to me about watching it. And over the decade, I've become more and more interested in films that are observational, films yeah. that just follow characters moving through the world, and that's exactly what Reichardt does mm. and yeah. does it beautifully. Yeah, and I re- went back and rewatched all her films and realised, yep, yeah, one of my favourites. Number eight is the film that's going to be my favourite film for this year. And that's Amazing Grace. Yeah, I was quite mm. stunned to see that in there. Seeing this was a religious experience for me, and I don't have religion. So wow. that's got to say something. <laughs> Emma is... would be kicking herself because all year she's like, I've got to see yeah, Amazing Grace before I make my, my list, and she never got to it. Oh, really? I so didn't know that. Yeah. It's my film of the year. I mean, Aretha Far Franklin, out. who doesn't love her, but I wouldn't say no. I was necessarily a fan as such, but the moment in this film when she sings that first note... I was in tears and a shiver went down my wow. spine and I saw I saw the face of God in Aretha <laughs> Franklin in this incredible footage. I mean, you yes. talked last week about how beautifully Apollo 11 was assembled and I completely agree about that, a masterful film. Similar to this, this is such a magnificent work of mm. footage, assemb- as- 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 footage assemblage. I f- felt like I was there. Wow. It's my favourite concert film ever. Ever. Yeah. That's how much I love Amazing I, Grace. I also, I, I, this wouldn't be on my, it's not on my top ten, but I, I was really moved by this film. And also, um, I didn't know very much about Aretha Franklin. I'd obviously listened to a lot of her music, but it was interesting picking up on the relationship between her father and her. Mm-hmm. Did you? And mm-hmm. I didn't know enough about that, and I knew something was up in that. The footage captures it. Yeah. And then you look into it, and you're like, oh, wow, that's why that there was that moment between them. It yeah. definitely encourages you to find out more. And I love mm. that shot of Mick Jagger just in the background, <laughs> oh, no. who's just in awe. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's oh, great. I mean, cinema, for me, some of my favourite cinema is when it's just sensory and visceral, and that's one of them. And that actually leads me into my number um, seventh film, which is probably the only film on this list I didn't go to see twice. I, it's, this is one of my films I love, and I've had a hard time wanting to see it again because it's hard work. 
And that's we need to talk about Kevin, Lynn Ramsey's incredibly visceral and I can't think of too many filmmakers who've captured the idea of sensory memory so Mm. well as her in this film. Yeah, Yeah. the way she captures fragmented memory and trauma and subjectivity in this this woman played by Tilda Swinton. There we go, another iconic figure from this decade and the last Um, (laughs) and probably the next one. Um, The way she captures this woman dealing with the, the guilt and trauma over the fact that her son has committed mass murder. Mm. Um, Lynn Ramsey is a director I wasn't fond of previously. Oh, um, really? Yeah. She's a big favourite of mine. More oh, than Keller? Which I need to revisit. Oh, um, yeah. and I still haven't and I must. Mm. But I love this and I've loved the film she made since, you know, the... Oh, well, you were never really... That good. one, yeah. 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 She's had a good decade, Yeah, actually. Yeah, 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 yeah bravo Lynn Ramsey. Now, talking about pure sensory experiences, I'm going to go hardcore mainstream here with my number six pick, which is Gravity. Um, which for me personified what the great film critic Tom Gunning talked about once, where he talked about the cinema of attraction, looking at early cinema, was about Mm. celebrating technology and showing us magic, showing us stuff that we've never seen before. That's what silent cinema did. And for me, Gravity was such a pure celebration of what cinema can achieve. Um, It didn't have to be stupid to do it. And it didn't have to be, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I saw it at IMAX and... Rested on the person next to me accidentally because I moved with the screen. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. Well, it's the first time 3D has been used to convey the idea of 360 degrees, like space as a sphere. Mm. Like, mm. And space doesn't have left, right, up and down. And the 3D really works. And I just love the spectacle of this film. And also I'm a sucker for films that celebrate humans being amazing and mm. overcoming the odds because it is essentially a survival film, a, a human in a insane situation trying to figure out how to survive. So I was emotionally engaged with that as well. But and, and a terrific performance from Sandra Bullock too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. who I've always had a soft spot for, yeah, and, and this film really confirmed that. Um, I never thought I'd have an Academy Award-winning film on my list, but I loved Birdman. Yeah. I saw that twice within the space of a week, I think. <laughs> this um, is a ball. You, Keaton and Norton playing ten, verbal tennis all day. I could just, yeah. Th- I mean, this ticks so many boxes for me. In terms of, it's, it's quite metatextual. Again, it's so technically tricky. I mean, it's it's it's, a, it's this sort of faked long take, which I'm a sucker for. And, you know, 1917 does it again. I, I love it. Um, <laughs> but the way it sort of wrestled with this idea of this artist sort of struggling to reflect back on his life and how much of his sort of melancholia is justified how much of it is indulgent and i again very subjective and i love that there's clearly a point in the film where we see total subjectivity from him Mm. and it's quite fun trying to figure out exactly when is the point the film goes in the full-blown fantasy and i think you can project some of your own feelings onto that film as well the degree in which you sympathize with him or think he's a bit of a wanker or a bit of both (laughs) (laughs) um loved it um, number four, another big mainstream one. Uh, I, this is one of those films where I just couldn't believe not everybody else loved it as much as I did. <laughs> Inception. Christopher yep. Nolan's Inception. I, I mean, I spoke before about how I'm a sucker for science fiction. This is the best Philip K. Dick film that Philip K. Dick never made. <laughs> um, just the, and, and again, I love memory. I love the representation of memory and reality in cinema. And this comes from that great tradition that we saw in things like The Matrix and Dark City and Existence and... Uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. These are all films I adore. Um, and Inception has these fairly lofty philosophical ideas. I get the emotional kick I love from my films. Um, and yet it played out like a big blockbuster. It was so painfully easy to follow. Yeah. It's a fairly complex narrative structure. Um, the editing in this film is masterful because you've got time moving in different in different speeds and the editing just makes sense for you, uh, for me anyway. Um yeah, Why don't I have the Brahm on the... On the oh, just, <laughs> yeah, and the best the best sound effect for the oh, year is the... Of the day. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, and it's one of the most lusciously made films of the decade yeah. as well. Everything about it is just so gorgeous. Um, yeah, for me, uh, Nolan is the best filmmaker working at that epic level. Nobody touches him in yeah. terms of working at that mega budget. Doing smart Space. blockbusters, yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, now I'm going to bring the mood right down with my number two film, which is Michael Haneke. Do you remember the the, the fake Twitter account that was pretending yes, to be Michael Haneke? Yes, which the I, one I'm, about like his cat. Yeah. Yes, Michael Haneke. Lol. Yeah. I'm a bit bit sad we've forgotten it, but we haven't. Um, <laughs> he lives in our hearts. One of the more serious, austere. European with a capital U. <laughs> no, with a capital E. <laughs> a for EU. Uh, God, have you missed me? Listeners, have you missed me? Um, 
But Michael Haneke's Amour, his 2000 mm, film Amour, which, film. you know, the, yes. the direct translation is love. It's about, it, it, it explores love at the end of a life, about an elderly couple where the woman is dying, um, you know, and death intrudes in their lives like this mysterious possible person who's broken into their apartment. And, and she's losing her mind and her dignity and it's about her husband standing by her and this is another one of those films I start choking up while talking yeah. about it. It's a hard watch but it's mm. one I was so delayed I saw more than once. I actually, I cried the entire way through it. Like, yeah, it's one of those. Yeah, yeah. I haven't one minute a- in and gone. even in the end credits. You haven't seen it. No, no, no. You was like gone one minute oh, in. I, I can't, yeah. I haven't been able to see it a second time. I yeah. really love to. Yeah. yeah, I'm really, it, it isn't the kind of film that screams out, watch again on Friday <laughs> night. But I'm glad I, I made a point of seeing it a second time because it's yeah. a powerful, profound film. But one of, again, one of the world great, one of the world's great filmmakers. Oh, He's my favourite. Yeah. Ah, oh, there yeah. you go. Wow. All time. He, yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, He I is tremendous. Him. He is magnificent. Mm. Um, Yeah. And then finally, a film I saw at the very beginning of the decade, and I remember saying, I reckon that's going to be my film of the decade. Wow. And it is. Um, and it's The Tree of Life. Terence Malick doing at the time something we hadn't seen Terence Malick do before, the style of the stylistic devices he used in this film. It had hints of in The Thin Red Line and some of the other films, but he goes full-blown with this kind of collage of movement and sound and, and people whispering about philosophy. And, <laughs> And this dreamlike space he creates to explore this tension between nature and grace, you know, following mm. instinct or following some kind of higher power, whether it's a religion or, or spirituality or the sublime. And Malik goes, he's so audacious. He compares the creation of the universe to this domestic family situation in the 1950s. Mm. I think it's a pity his films since then have kind of riffed on these themes in a way that hasn't been as satisfying. I think it's taken the shine of this film for a lot of people. Mm. But this was a revelation when I saw it. And uh, it, for me, it still stands out as a, a artistic triumph in terms of spectacle, intellectual pursuit of these philosophical matters. And I love films that don't aren't afraid to be philosophical and mm. pursue the intellect and just so incredibly emotionally engaging. You know, mm. it, 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 it's for me film delivering this almost spiritual response that, as you can tell, I can't possibly do justice to with words. And, and this is the kind of film that is why I love cinema. It's, and it's, oh, sorry. Not a go. I was going to say also it's just communicated so well through through the camera work. Like it's so yeah. visually communicative and I mean the script's amazing, the performance is really strong but one of the things I love most about Terence Malick is his um, his use of the visual medium of just like mm. moving around these characters and there's real intimacy to that as well. When Malick's on song, he's that transcendent cinema of the Bressonian um, class. Yep. He's he's yeah. incredible. And uh, am I allowed to do a special mention, or should I come back to we'll it? We'll come back to that. There's also a film you've forgotten. Yeah, you've, you, that's in your top ten that you haven't mentioned. Did but I it's skip right. a film? Did you do a top I'll nine accidentally? Back. I will come back <laughs> to oh it my later. God, I did. I skipped number three. You did. <laughs> I'll, I'll come back to that. Is later. it on your list, Paul? Yes, it is. Oh, okay, well I'll chime it's in. It's the very pointy end of my list. <laughs> How did um, I miss that? It's got a metaphorical cat in it. Yes, right, it does. Okay, so that's an excellent top ten. Thank you. Thomas, <laughs> a top nine. Um, we'll come, come back with uh, Sally and Flick's top. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. Triple R is listener-supported radio and receives no direct government funding. If you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber, hit up rrr.org.au to find out how. Our next list, that of Sally Christie, who has beamed this list in from Colombia, where she's currently holidaying. And I've got to tell you, it's a very Sally Christie list. Very <laughs> on brand. Uh, so she, again, she's ranked her top three. Her rest are unranked, so I will go through them reverse alphabetically. Her first choice is Robert Eggers's The Witch. Oh, yeah. I love that film. Which is one of my very favourite horror films of this decade. Guess what? I reckon The Lighthouse is even better. Oh, can't wait. Did you love The Witch as well? Yeah, yes. Yeah. I'm obliged to say yes. Yeah. yeah. No, no, I, I did. I did. Which was excellent. Something about the ending. I yeah. And Black Phillip and the whole, yeah. Oh, I just love it. The ending is, is... It's incredible. Yeah, transcendental. Yeah. <laughs> Her ninth pick is Under the Skin. Jonathan oh, Glazer's... Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, stunning that's, film. Yeah, that's yep. one of the few, few films that I prefer the film to the book. Yeah. I hate the book. Uh, I would <laughs> agree with you on that. No. I often prefer the film over the book, but it's a really good adaptation. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a film you just you can never see coming. You just sit down to watch it and it just takes you to very interesting and dark places. 
Spring Breakers. Oh, yes. <laughs> Harmony Kareens. Yeah, yeah, good honour. <laughs> I yeah, that's right on the cusp for me. I love that film. <laughs> it, uh, it's an amazing film. I oh yeah, I'll take up too much time if I start Spring break. Yeah, <laughs> I'll try, try to explain why I like that because I don't know why, but I do. Just yeah, watch it for the piano scene. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of uh, the, uh, another of my very favourite horror films of the decade, Julia de Corneau's Raw. Oh yes. That was a special. I'm a mention. huge fan yes. of that film. Yeah, great film. Um, one of the best films about like sisterhood I've ever seen. I think it's incredible yeah, the way the way it looks yeah. at female siblinghood. Uh, her um, her next pick is her favourite film of this year, which was Midsummer. Arias' oh, Midsummer, yeah. which we discussed last week. Um, she also picked another film we discussed last week. We've had this film twice in a row, and both times Sally's not been here to discuss it. Um, Young Gonzalez's Knife and Heart. Ah, there we go. That's the first one we've spoken about. I have not. I, I, I all that. my attempts to see that have eluded me, but people love it. Yeah, everyone I, loves it. It's yeah. one of only two films that were picked tonight that I've not seen. The other being Amazing Grace. Uh, a film I'm very fond of is her next pick, Gaspar Noé's Climax. I haven't seen it. Yes, well, guess uh, Into the Void would have been on my list from last oh, decade. Really? I adore Into the Void. You hated Into the Void. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love it. Climax. <laughs> Most people do, but. Um, <laughs> But Climax, I saw that with Gaspar Noé haters and they loved him by the end of the film. Yeah. Yeah, Climax is splendid. It's, yeah. Uh, her next, now her top three, uh, number three is Asif Kapadia's uh, documentary, Amy, about Amy Winehouse. Oh, yeah, that's, oh, yeah, a, great choice. that's a, yeah, that's an unusual choice though. I've kind of forgotten about that doco, but it was excellent. Yeah, no, that, that's again a beautifully assembled footage film and I knew nothing about Winehouse and I saw that film and went out and bought everything I could get my hands on of hers. A stunning mm. film, yeah. Yeah, she's a super talent and mm. and this is such a, a almost achingly intimate look. Yeah. Like it's painfully mm. intimate. Uh, her number two film is uh, Snowtown. Justin oh, Curzel's yes. miserablest distress. She does love a miserablest Aussie <laughs> story, and yeah. I, I own that on DVD. Yes, <laughs> fun fact. So do I. No, <laughs> but I've paid to watch it more than once on streaming. So there you go. Yeah, yeah an incredible film. Yes. And Sally's number one of the decade, which is one of the four films that appears more than once, Yorgos Lantimos's Killing of a Sacred Deer. Yeah. Wow, okay. So wonderfully twisted. Um, <laughs> another film that you can never see coming. Um, <laughs> and some almost career best performances from Colin Farrell and uh, Nicole Kidman. And just the, the, the mood, it goes, sort of morphs into kind of Greek myth, and, and yet it's so horrifyingly modern. Oh, and it's con- wonderful. Yeah. yeah. Lanthimos makes you laugh at things no one else can make you ever <laughs> yeah. laugh at. Like, it's, it's, yeah. not, it's not even black comedy, it's something else. It's, oh, like, it's, 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 there's a, it's dark. It's taking dark horror to comedy. the most pure, yes. absurd yeah. point. Yes. And, it's, and the absurdity is, is a big part of it, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. yeah. It's as oh, as I the, love him. It's as if the Joker were a filmmaker. <laughs> Yeah, that's the whole thing about the Joker is he's laughing, nobody else should be. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. So, mm-hmm. Flick, yes. time for you to unveil your top ten of the decade. Yes, I've been madly ranking mine, so this is Excellent. I'm not even sure if I agree with this ranking, but you forced me into this corner, and so here I am. Brilliant. Okay, number ten is this year's uh, smash hit. I don't think it's, uh, anyone's calling it that, but it has been getting a lot of praise. Pain and Glory from Pedro Amaldivar. Oh. Just love this film. I just oh, I could just go in and watch it right now. I think Antonio Banderas is amazing in it. I am you know Paul and I, oh sorry, just knocked my mic. Um, Paul and I have spoken a lot about our love for this film, but um, I, it just has stuck with me. I think there's a real tenderness to it. I think it's visually beautiful. I think it's quite creative with how it decides to approach the story and memory and even the the use of reflecting on someone's life and desire and uh, formative experiences. I, just, uh, uh, yes. I love this film. I think it's amazing. And I think it's going to stay with me. I, mm. Yeah, I really am moved by that. And especially uh, the performances in it are just exceptional. Yeah. And comparing um, it to Eight and a Half is totally fair. Like yes. I mean, yes. Everything yes. gets compared to Eight yes. and a Half, but this is a film that earns it. I, yeah, mm. I'll third that opinion on that mm. film. <laughs> um, number nine for me is Tony Erdman. By um, oh, Marin man. Aid, is that oh. how you pronounce it? Marin Arde, Marin Arde, yeah, Arde, yeah. yeah. German filmmaker. Yeah, I was hoping somebody would mention oh, that. Oh, I just love this. Yeah. So it was one of my favourite films of that year. Yeah. yeah, I saw this by myself, and it's um, quite a dark comedy. Could we say? I suppose. Uh, yeah. Is that yeah. what is it? Yeah. It's very emotional comedy. Yes. Yeah. I've, Droll. Yes, mm. and yeah. I, I just, it's so rare. I think when you're watching a comedy by yourself, sometimes you don't end up really laughing that much. I. 
laughed but also cried a lot during this film. I just think it's beautiful. And I was saying before, I was getting a bit confused because I was looking at my notes when you were talking before about Rune, but the father-daughter relationship in Tony Erdman yeah. is just exceptional. And I, I just was really moved by it. I think it's such a rarity to see that complex relationship and a mm. difficult relationship played out so beautifully. The performance was amazing. There is an exceptional I just feel like watching it right now. Like yeah. I, that scene is exceptional. Some of the best screen nudity you'll yes. ever see. Oh, that <laughs> was the point. <laughs> it was like after two and a quarter hours, <laughs> I just laughed spontaneously yeah. I and I could not stop. We were talking yeah. about yeah. absurdity. This is mm. it, it's an absurd film, but wonderful and so heartfelt and so moving. I yeah. think I feel like a lot of people didn't see it, so yes. I really wanted to kind of Yes, it, shine it earns a spotlight on that. It earns the length. It's yeah, great. absolutely. Yep. Yeah, what is it, two and a half hours? Yeah, it's yes. long, but yeah. you need that time to build that. Oh, absolutely. Don't have um, yeah. Love everything about that film. Uh, number eight is, why do I choose people with such difficult <laughs> names to pronounce? <laughs> Ruben Ostlund's The Square. Yeah. Yeah, love him. All right. He, I've, got his, I've got another one of his coming you up. Do, you do? That's your director <laughs> yeah, double up. Yeah, I just love it. The square is so enjoyable. For me, there's just a few key scenes that I think about almost on a weekly basis. Um, like, Elizabeth Moss questioning <laughs> him in front of a stack of chairs about to pull. Oh, Great scene. It's, so, it's a real – you have to have a pretty dark sense of humour to like the square, but I adore it. I think it also is just um, brings up some really – it's got some nice, sharp political commentary in there. Yeah. Um, it features one of my favourite songs in a um, car scene that I, I don't want to ruin for anyone, but it's just like, yeah, there's just like lots of really excellent scenes. And I think it's a wonderful combination of being exceptionally funny, very un- almost uncomfortable yes. political commentary. It's a very uncomfortable film. Uh, I just love it. Uh, yeah. Killing of a... Dog hey. of a oh, goodness, <laughs> killing of a sacred deer. Yoga Slanthamus. Uh, I was actually going to write about this um, this film for a paper because I was just so obsessed with it. It's not even a film that I'm covering in my thesis and I was like, I'm just going to try work it in because mm. I enjoy this so much and I think there's so much to dig into. I feel like a lot of people would probably have this floating around maybe in their top ten hopefully, but yeah. uh, I thought maybe I'd just mention it anyhow. Um, mm. Love love that film. I'm gratified by how many top tens I'm seeing it in now. Yeah. Like I didn't think it would make that many, oh, so, really? I'm, yeah, so I'm glad. The performance and especially um, – Oh, I've forgotten the boy's name. I've got it. Oh, yeah, uh, gonna... Barry Keegan. Yeah, love, yeah, love he's incredible. Yeah. I, he's one of my favourite actors at the moment. Mm. I just find him such a powerful on-screen presence. And for such a young actor, he's exceptional. Yeah. And especially acting against, you are talking about the heavyweights like Kidman and um, Co- um, Colin Farrell. Um, amazing. Like, yeah, I love that film. And I, I suppose I just really like uncomfortable situations. So I'm just like, <laughs> it's my That's jam. That's the trend I'm getting. You, you, you like the uncomfortable well, laughs. Yeah. It's great. Now, there's, talking there's more of, to come. Yeah. Dialing yeah. it up to uh, 11 as far as... Uh, Discomfort goes force majeure. Well, that's that's my favourite. What's his name? Ruben Ostland. Yeah, yeah. I, I just oh adore that. Yeah. I've never laughed so yeah. hard in a film. I I was crying to the, like it was I was laughing that hard and I was actually in pain. I had like my went with my friend who who just has a wonderful laugh. This is such a funny film and it's so uncomfortable. Uh, it's yeah. it's such a good example of comedy as a result of breaking the tension, and yes. that scene with the drone yes, is the drone I, I, was, I was sort of falling out of my chair <laughs> laughing because like, it comes yeah. out of nowhere to and, yeah. break the tension in the most perfect way. And if we to think back on the decade and what people have experimented with, that drone scene mm. really stands out. <laughs> it's so unusual. It is so unusual. Um, there's just so much dialogue and moments in that film that I think back on, and especially like it's a great investigation of relationships or the breakdown perhaps of a relationship. The look on the father's Um, face in that key scene where he runs off, I just just watched that over and over again. I could watch that on repeat. That could be just a gift for me. Yeah. Oh, I love that film. Top five? Top five. Sorry, I'm I'm getting carried away. Handmaiden. Um, Oh, nice. Yeah, Park Chan-wook. Yeah, good one. It's such a sexy film. It's so enjoyable it's so entertaining there's a lot of i watch a lot of like really dry european cinema that's like particularly upsetting and slow and handmaiden is just the opposite of that it is so fast-paced and creative and just really tight filmmaking um similar sort of um tempo parasite Mm. i adored this film i i've already spoken so much about it on the show that i'm not gonna bore you with that uh number three my favorite director of all time michael haneke amore Ah, for um, you as well lovely just adore him that is um perfect 
film. Uh, now, Lisa is going to our... Um, <laughs> yeah, that's 12 producer. Yeah, Kvart- Lisa Kovartovich is going to be uh, hate this, uh, but Phantom Thread, yeah. P.T. Anderson. Oh, <laughs> sensational film. film. Yeah. yeah, Lisa's not a fan, which is fine. Uh, We've had many a conversation. It. <laughs> <laughs> controversial. Agreed. I just adore this. I think it's so beautiful. I think it's incredibly romantic yeah. and I think that it's... Um, Oh, I just it's perfection, and also just um, yeah. I don't know what else to say about that. I'm actually speechless from that. If I, this, I if, love the sensation. Sorry, Paul. I, I love the sensation when I think I'm one step ahead of the director, and then yes. I realise I'm an idiot. Yes, they <laughs> were on top of it the whole time, yeah. and they fooled me. I love mm. that feeling, and this yeah. film did that. I've, oh, I've heard yeah. people who, you know, walked out of this in disgust after half an hour and it's like, this is the wrong film to do that. This is one of yeah. the most unpredictable screenplays yes. of the last decade. Yeah. And it's, it would actually be, if, if this were a top 20, it would be in mine. Oh, absolutely. And I, th- I feel like actually I learnt something about relationships watching <laughs> that film. Um, yeah, I was really, I yeah. Amazing film. And number one for me is Barry Jenkins' Moonlight. The this other is, film we were yeah, referring to. Yeah, yeah beautiful yeah. It's a beautiful, gorgeous yeah. film. I, just, I watched this and I just thought, this is cinema. This is cine- mm. cinema to me. You were talking before, Thomas, about that sense of um, visceral cinema. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, for me, that tactility of this film is what stuck with me. And I think it's telling such a difficult story and it's able to go through three different times in this man's life and capture them so perfectly that there's absolute continuity. And I just, I feel like I know those characters. I feel like mm. I've lived with these characters. And it's just um, in those in that time, oh, sorry, I keep knocking my, I'm gesturing too wildly. I'm just too excited <laughs> about talking about these films. They do really, it's interesting when you reflect on films that have really affected you from a decade. And mm. You have a physical response, don't yeah. you? Yeah. Yeah. No, no, I, I was the same. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Everything about Moonlight is counterintuitive to what I expect a film would do. And that's what makes mm. it brilliant because it's mm. still exactly Right. Mm. Yeah, I'm a bit of a such um, a surprising yeah, film. Yeah. I'm a bit of a uh, color coding in film nerd, and mm. I love the fact that you could take any frame from that film and know that it's moonlight. I think yes. that's an exceptional set design and exceptional sort of um, thought process and de- level of detail that I really um, love. And, and a sensuality to the images yeah. that um, Jenkins is a huge uh, Wong Kar Wai fan, and mm. it feels like the next step Absolutely. in that lineage. Yeah. It's beautiful stuff. Um, all right, we're, uh, time is ticking away, oh, so we're going to skip the next song um, and just go straight into mine, I think. Um, beautiful sorry, picks there, Paul. Fleck. No, 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 you're not. No, you're, you, you ran brilliantly at times. Just, you know, these things, we all get excited. <laughs> you're listening to Plato's Cave on Triple R. Just uh, uh, if you've just tuned in, we are counting off our top 10 faves of the 2010s. So, I usually reveal these sorts of things in a wildly overlong blog at year's end, so this is a little uncharacteristic for me. <laughs> um, but, so, I've resisted, my ninth and 10th, I've resisted the urge to go for my top two films of 2019. I feel like the corpse is still warm. Um, look, Quentin Tarantino and Bong Joon-ho will be crying into their soup, I'm sure. <laughs> um, but I wanted to actually use my ninth and 10th to, to spotlight films that are a little lesser known, or, or at least a little bit forgotten. So, my number 10... Is De- Derek Chien France's heartbreaking oh, yeah. divorce drama, yes, 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 yes. Blue Valentine? Yep. Oh, of course. How did I forget With that? With yep. Ryan yes. Gosling, who is probably yeah. one of the big actors of this decade. Another yeah. iconic figure yes. from this decade, yeah. And yeah. Uh, one of a pair of uh, brilliant Michelle Williams' perf- uh, yeah. Michelle Williams performances yeah. Yeah. to appear in this list. Um, I love Blue Valentine. It mm. just breaks my heart. As a yep. child of divorce as well, I think it just hits me in the right place. Number nine is a documentary that not nearly as many people have seen that ha- should. It's currently on SBS On Demand if you want to look it up. It's a film called The Work. And it's a film um, about uh, every year this prison in the US, um, they they have like a radical group therapy kind of thing going on with their prisoners. And a couple of times a year they let the public in to participate. Um, And so these men go into this prison to, to basically have these group therapy sessions with these prisoners. But it's like... It's like um, kind of extreme, prim- like brutal, brutal sensitivity was how I kind of described it. It's almost like brutal primal scream theory. <laughs> but it's like it's all about toxic masculinity and how we can begin to short circuit that and how to unlearn habits. And it makes me cry. This is a theme in this top ten, by the way. The, the first six <laughs> films from tenth to fifth are all films that make me bawl like a baby. So that's, um, that's the work, Paul. That's the work. That's yeah. not on my radar at all. So thank you. I'll look that mm. up. Yeah, I, it was a yep. myth, it was a myth film uh, about th- uh, two or three in, in twenty seventeen, and it's just it is just beautiful, and I urge everyone to see it, especially boys. 
Mm. Like like boys growing up really need to watch this film. Number eight is uncharacteristic for me in animation. Um, Don Hertz felt it's such a beautiful day. Yeah. Yeah, I was considering about putting that up there. It's a what, film. What that, an incredible work. Oh, wow. Actually, it's, it's the tree of life of animation. Yeah. <laughs> I actually haven't seen it. I'm adding that to my list. I, I don't know if I've mm. seen a better depiction of mental illness yeah. on screen. Yeah. And it's stick figures. The entire wow. film is drawn with stick figures. And it's an hour long. It's actually three shorts that were combined into an hour long film. And it's. And I just think about certain moments and begin to tear up, so I won't go any further into it. He's a brilliant but, animator, and his early work is all really anarchic, funny, mm. very cruel, wickedly funny cartooning. But but this is an extraordinary work. Yeah, and it just follows this guy named Bill going through his life, and as and and it's just narration over stick figure animation, and we just find that Bill is slowly losing his grip on his. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, good choice. Um. Number seven. Oh, number seven? Yeah, number seven is... Don't skip one, that'll be stupid. No. <laughs> <laughs> number seven is uh, Kenneth Lonergan's Manchester by the Sea. Oh, yeah. And then about that. this was a film that tore my heart out of my yeah. body. Everybody raves about Margaret, and I never really got Margaret. I was, like, too unwieldy. And, and, and then when I saw this film, it's kind of like, oh, this is the Kenneth Lonergan everybody's been talking about. I mean, personal life aside, Casey Affleck's performance in this is next-level phenomenal. Rachel, uh, Michelle Williams again drops into the film for two scenes and yeah. lays a nuclear... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nuclear what's, device. Yeah. Yeah. What's the name of the young actor as well? Lucas name? Hedges. He's amazing. Um, seeing yeah. this film was, I'm oh, going to watch this yes. guy for the rest that's of his career. He started off really, wasn't yeah. he? Yeah. He's, yep. Yeah, wow. He's in Honey Boy too, which is oh, sensational. I want to see that. Mm. Yes. And it's just Good that choice. beautiful, um, yeah, beautiful family dynamic. It's as, it's also hilarious at times as well, which is really quite bizarre. It's got this freewheeling kind of Bostonian dialogue. Number six is um, Xavier Dolan's Mommy. Oh, really? A film that a 20 something year old has no right to be that talented and mature to make a film that's. So it, it plays with form. It plays. Its relationships are so beautifully drawn, and it's just—it's a heartbreaking film. Um, I love it to bits. Um, uh, number five, uh, another animation. What the hell is going on? <laughs> Inside Out. Yes. Oh. <laughs> yes. In in a decade <laughs> where Pixar really lost their. That's another grip. one I've cried through. Oh my goodness! <laughs> right. Yes. Oh dear. Yep. Yeah. In in a decade where Pixar really lost their grip, this yeah. was a film that was like, no, we can still do this. Yeah. And I think it's yeah, it's a film. It's I mean, a lot of it's been said by a lot of people already, but it's instructional for for people for kids growing up mm. how to deal with sadness and and that sadness is a, it takes a valid place in in you know in life. Um, the number four, Mad Max Fury Road. <laughs> Good. Actually, I'm gonna get crucified for not putting that on my list because I actually love that. I've seen it like six times I'm in the cinema. Done. <laughs> it's not on more list. Yeah. I I should have put it on. There. I mean, I love it. The <laughs> action film of the decade, yep. just just Agreed. furious. Oh, furiosa. <laughs> um, I have a furiosa badge. Oh, I'm, I'm so big good. Fan. Oh, nice. Oh, yeah, <laughs> just vivid and brilliant. Pure um, cinema. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. Number three, The Hateful Eight. Controversial. Wow. This was the first film I saw in 2016 and no film got 2016, the 2016 to come, better than The Hateful Eight. It's pure. It, it is the best description of what America has become of any other film um, that I've perhaps ever seen. Yeah, um, well it's, said. Okay. It's also a wildly entertaining, you know, chamber mystery and be, like incredibly well shot in 70mm. It's, but, yeah, I think... I think it's Tarantino's most political film, and it's yeah, it's a stunner. You should see more of Tarantino's films, Paul. I think you'll like them. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm not really familiar with his work. Um, it was a very yeah, very nearly a directed double up for me. And my top two of the decade, which uh, I'm happy to say, are two of the ones we got double ups on. Number two, Melancholia, which oh, we discussed yes. earlier. Yeah. Um, just astonishing stuff from mm. uh, from Von Trier. And number one, my number one of the decade is the film that Thomas. Corbel forgot deliberately so you could save it for your number one <laughs> the Coen brothers inside Lewin Davis oh yeah. I yeah. just this, Great film. this is a film that just speaks there is I mean whatever it may say about me there is no film character in the 2010s I related to more than Lewin Davis we yeah spoke I, to me uh, what I loved about it it's a narrative about somebody who has talent works incredibly hard pursues their dreams 
and it doesn't work yeah. out. And I love narratives about that because it's mm. rarely shown in cinema and it's usually what happens. We, we don't often get the dreams that we, we want through circumstance, bad luck, or not being quite as good as we need to be. Mm. And this film captured the essence of that. Mm. Um, it's the right it person like, at the wrong time. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Like... It was like a revenge film because he threw the cat out of the car. So I was like, yeah, he can fail. <laughs> <laughs> the cat's a metaphor. Yeah. Yeah. I've forgotten exactly how, yeah. but Learners. I remember <laughs> this big thing about the cat's I metaphor gasped. for everything. Metaphor. <laughs> Cat. Yeah. Lewin is the cat. Lewin has the cat. <laughs> so that is all for our Plato's Cave in 2019. We might come back with a whole raft of thank yous. Triple R. Before we sign off for 2019, I'd just like to share a few thank yous. Firstly, to my co-hosts, Sally Christie, Emma Westwood, Cerise Howard and Flick Ford for letting me anchor the cave this year and for putting up with my nonsense. <laughs> to Thomas Corbell for not coming out of radio retirement to tell me I've disgraced his legacy. To Lisa Kovacevic for tirelessly producing and promoting our show this year and jumping on air when needed. To Killer Carl Chapman for panelling so brilliantly all year and making sure I keep on time, which again, I'm in danger of not doing. <laughs> to Faith Everard, our podcast editor, who is leaving us for the wide open halls of the Wheeler Centre if uh, give us a word um, I just wanted to say very quickly because we're almost out of time but I have loved being a part of this show for so long like it's just been incredible I've been doing this podcast for three years these guys are incredible I love all of them um, I'm so glad I got to be a part of this you all suck because you didn't mention what we do in the shadows as one of the best films <laughs> nice. of the 2010s that's all I'm going to say but anyway seriously thank you to everyone who uh, you know let me be a part of the show um, it's been awesome and I hope to see you guys around and we've loved having you, Faith. Yeah. Ooh. Keep knocking on mic. And, <laughs> and uh, more thank yous to Morty Osborne, who will be filling Yay. Faith's role in 2020 as our <laughs> podcast editor, to Triple R Programming and Content Manager Beck Hornsby for her, all her massive support of our show and, from, and of me taking over as anchor. Um, it's been massively appreciated. For Triple R Station Manager Dave Houchin for uh, letting, this, um, letting this show, this man Caldwell created, continue into a 10th year. To all of our lovely sponsors who have supported us this year and most of all every listener who subscribes to our show subscribe to Triple R or just listens to our nonsense every week you are the reason we do this and if we didn't have you we'd go mad and just annoy people on public transport with our opinions on film so thank you all from the bottom of our hearts have a very merry Christmas and a happy healthy cinemagical 2020 Thanks for listening to Triple R's Plato's Cave, a weekly radio show of informed, passionate and fun film criticism. Broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Monday. Hope you enjoyed the podcast version and feel free to get in touch with us via the Plato's Cave Facebook page, Twitter or via the Triple R website. <laughs>